Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Christmas was always the plan. Uh, as I said earlier, this was something that was part of a greater story and something that we, uh, we are able to share in. And we have to always remember the, the stories have to fit together, right? That's the cohesion of the Bible that we have going all the way back. Um, something that we told our, a lot of our Connect Group leaders early on was that we need to make sure that as groups we keep our focus on Jesus, uh, not on the things that could potentially divide us and the potentially just argue over. Like we need to make sure that we understand the purpose of who we are, like our vision, right, as a church. Our mission as a church is to point people to Jesus and help them start and grow a relationship with Jesus. And so as a part of that, right, wanting to share this wonderful story uh, during Christmas time, during a time when um, it's just been really hard for a lot of people, we wanted our connect groups to go out and actually share this love, share this story that we get to be a part of. And one of our groups, um, they get to go on, I think, Friday night. Uh, Rico Giovanello's Connect Group is going to go and bring a bunch of food, because, of course, Rico's a chef, so that's going to be his idea, uh, is they're going to be a bunch of food to the uh, Southbridge Police Department. And they've asked us, as their church family, to be a part of that. So after service, I would love it if you would go over just to the right of the Christmas trees over there. They've got a gigantic card and a bunch of markers so that everybody uh, that's able can go over and just say, hey, thank you for what you're doing. And what was cool is the police officer, you know, because you wonder, like, are, are people supporting police a lot? Are they not? Like, how, how are police feeling? And the police chief over there said, you have no idea how much this is going to mean to our men and women. Uh, this has been a really hard time, and they're not getting a lot of support. And so for your church to come alongside our men and women, he says, you just you don't have any idea the impact that you're going to make doing this. So just having, you know, uh, a card and some food, and maybe I'll go and help to hand the food out and sample it if they need any extra help with that. But, uh, you know, just as a servant, that's who I am. Um, no, but we, uh, we you know, that's, that is part of the Christmas story is, is sharing the story, right? Sharing the hope that we have in Christ. And so as uh, you can see on the overhead there, uh, we want to rediscover Christmas because here's what can really, really easily happen is that uh, two things. We either get just really used to the story of Christmas and we know like the little details of the story so well that we just kind of like breeze through it. And this is kind of an old story. We've been doing it for years and years and years. Uh, or we expect like Jesus to like dance like uh, for us, right? Like we want something new and fresh and different every year. And we bring that into our experience with Jesus around this time. And we can even bring it to church. Like, well, wh how am I going to be wild this year? You know, and it's like, what I think is great about this is to really think about the story and what it means. And why is it that this story has endured for 2000 years, right? Like that's an incredible story uh, to, to go that long and to be something that life-changing but again, it's part, of a, it's part of a bigger story. And so I want to rediscover that bigger story and the freedom that's offered in that story. Because again, the Christmas story was always going to be what had to happen. That was always part of the plan for us and for God. Right? That's what he knew he was going to do. So the Bible, though, is one big connected story. Right? That's, that's why this is important. Because we're going to plug 
Christmas into this bigger context. And so it's, I know for a lot of people, especially if you're newer to your faith or if you've never really, like if you're coming, maybe some denominational backgrounds or different types of Christian backgrounds where you didn't read a lot of scripture and you know, you're like, oh, I'm not really sure how it all fits together. There's 66 books and they're written over like 1500 years and three different languages and like 40 odd authors. And it's like, how does it all fit together? It could get kind of confusing. And it's like, yeah, because you've got like this fruit that apparently they're not supposed to eat and it brought spiritual death. And now you've got slavery and then you've got some naughty kings. And then you've got these wild-eyed prophets talking about a baby who would eventually, you know, be in a manger who would lead to a savior on a cross. And then all of a sudden there's this king on a horse and he's white and he's got tattoos on his legs. And then all of a sudden there's a new earth, the end of the story. Right? Amen. I'll see you guys later. Have a great day. You know, so there's a lot of things in there. Uh, I mean, if you just read the book of Genesis, it's like, goodness gracious, you cover so much ground and there's so much foundational theology in the book of Genesis that just echoes out through the rest of the Bible. But you have to remember, it is one big connected story. But we know these kind of like bigger stories, right? Like the nursery rhymes almost. And it's like we forget that they're connected to everything else, just like the Christmas story. And so I, what I want to do is during the series, we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture because I want to help us to rediscover the thread, so to speak, right? That scarlet thread that runs throughout uh, the Bible, as has been said, is to, to understand where Jesus is and where God's plan is and all that. So we're going to spend a significant time really not so much just talking about Scripture, but just being in Scripture so that we can take all these little puzzle pieces and see how they fit together together. Cool? All right, so let's do that. So the big thing, though, that I would like us to see is that uh, during Advent, is, as the series title uh, would maybe have you believe, you have freedom available to you. And Advent is something that is a, a promise that you can see in the Old Testament. They misunderstood a little bit, right? They didn't quite get in the Old Testament what was going on, what kind of freedom would be available. And by the time Jesus shows up, says he's the Messiah, they're totally confused. They're looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. The first Advent was uh, mistaken for the second Advent, right? And that's why they're so upset. That's why they tried to force his hand so much. And so we're going to put some of those pieces together. And so for me, the question that I um, want to wrestle with during this series is, in light of freedom, what would it look like for you to embrace the freedom Jesus offers you? Because again, the Christmas story is not just about a baby in a manger. Uh, it's about something bigger than that. It's about Jesus, uh, and it's about God promising for a thousands of years that freedom would come because he's talking to an oppressed people, right? For a long time, they're in slavery from a long, for a long time. They've kind of shot themselves in the foot, right? And they've made mistakes, made mistakes, made mistakes. And because of that, they keep be being oppressed. They keep being oppressed. And eventually God is going to say, look, there is going to be freedom. I promise you there's going to be freedom. And what he was talking about was there's going to be spiritual freedom but yes, there's a longer term goal of this freedom, but we have to take today in 2022, the freedom that Jesus offers us today. So I don't know your story, right? I don't know what you struggle with. Most people have a couple things that they struggle with, right? And it's like, God, I would just love to have freedom from this, this sin that I struggle with, this thing, this, this old mindset, being judgmental, gossipy, right? Porn, financial stuff, like whatever it is, like most of us have like a couple things that are just those types of things that God desires us to have freedom from. Or 
having accepted Christ, the first step would be accepting the freedom that he gives us from hell, right? That's a big one. Like, we, we can't ever separate the manger from the cross. Because, again, if you do, you're missing the point and purpose. You've just got this cutesy little story that really doesn't have any meaning if it's just a baby in a manger. But Jesus came in the manger to go to the cross. So the freedom that's offered, that's the bigger part of the story. And so when you think about that, and when you maybe talk with people about the meaning of Christmas, <clears throat> like, what does that mean? Like, what is the meaning of Christmas? Because this has become a cultural war over the last decade or so, right? It's Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. And it's like, I know, but what is the meaning, right, of Christmas? Is it for you to be angry? Is that what God really desired for you when he came to earth? He's like, I cannot wait until people start fighting over Happy Holidays versus Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. Um, I, I don't think that's what he had in mind for us, right? But that's what we get sucked into. And so what is the meaning of Christmas? right? It's about hope. It's about freedom. It's about Christ who would give his life for the very people he was born into this world to save, right? That's like the very people that would reject him. That's who he came for. And so what kind of freedom do you need to embrace uh, this Christmas season, this Advent season? Because um, again, there's, there's a bigger story. There's two parts of this that we're going to explore together. Because Advent, the word Advent, if you're curious what that means, it's a Latin word, Adventus. You know, every year we do Advent, we kind of slow down. We do this. Uh, we've probably done this for five years now. And I like it because it really does slow us down. And it's like a all month long, let's really think about what was going on, what the hope was, what the point was, what the purpose was, what was being offered to us. That's really the cool thing about Advent. But it's a word that means arrival. It means coming. And again, there's two Advents, if you didn't know. There's one when Jesus would come in the manger. But then there's also what we do when we celebrate Advent is we look ahead to his second coming. That he himself said would happen, right? So there's the hope of when he came, but there's also the hope of him coming back, right? And that's the whole, like, king on the white horse part, right? That's Revelation 19. That's Jesus not coming back as a suffering servant, but as king of kings and lord of lords, right? That's like, and that's what he promised he would do, right? And we see that in Revelation, and that's why we're going to be in Revelation, because I think it's important to look at the whole picture of this baby in the manger. Yes, suffering servant, but also who is Jesus, as Jesus has said he is, right? So it's the arrival, the coming, and there's two parts of that that we get to look at. And the first part is going to be he's coming. So we're going to time travel a little bit together. We're going to go back, and we're going to try to put ourselves in the mindset of people hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before the Messiah, getting these promises and looking forward to this answer that God gave to the problem of sin. Then we're going to look at, briefly, we're not going to spend a lot of time going over the tried and true verses of Jesus in Luke 2 and Matthew 1, like looking at the, the story of Christ. We're going to look briefly at that because that's important, but we're going to also look at what did that mean when he was actually here, right? So Jesus comes, and there's a reason that in the Gospels, they spend the majority of the time talking about the Passion Week and the crucifixion and not the majority of the time talking about his birth. Because one is way more important and one is the point of the birth, right? And so we're going to spend more time looking at, okay, what does it mean now that he's here? And then looking ahead to that second advent, right? Trying again to just put all the puzzle pieces together. That's kind of the, the scope of this series when it comes to advent, right? So first uh, today... We've got our first day of Advent, and we're looking at the four things are going to be hope, faith, joy, 
and peace. Those are the traditional Sundays of Advent, and they are traditionally the four Sundays before Christmas. So we've actually got six times that we'll be together in this Christmas series, because we've got those four Sundays, then we've got Christmas Eve, and then we have Christmas morning, which this year is on a Sunday. So we're going to do these four, and then we're going to land by the time we get to Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, we're going to be in Revelation, which is kind of odd, right? That's not a very Christmassy place to be. But I read a book, uh, and I don't know if any of you guys have read this, called Wild at Heart. And I read it a while ago, and I made a note because there was something in there that struck me. Because it's about, it's a book for men um, written by John Eldridge. And it's like, you know, where's your heart? Like, how did God make you? And like, and really what is, like, how can you be set free as a guy? Not like have to be like stereotypical guy, but like what's, what, what does God put in your heart? And how does he want to set you free in light of that? And so one of the things he talked about, almost as a weird aside, was the Christmas story. And he was talking about scripture and how a lot of times you just kind of get used to these stories and then we miss the point. And he was quoting, I think, Phil Yancey and a book that Phil Yancey wrote. And he was saying how differently we should look at the baby in the manger scene in light of Revelation 12 and places like that, the spiritual battle that was going on. And so I remember making a note, like, whenever I preach through Advent on my own, I'm going to talk about this, because that is incredible. Because it's like all-out epic spiritual warfare is happening. And it's revealed in Revelation what was happening spiritually when Jesus Christ was born. And so we're going to dip into that toward the end of this series to say, hey, look, when Jesus came in the manger, there was, like, real, real warfare going on in the heavens. Like, it was insane, and it was, like, chaotic. And yet, there's Jesus, there's God battling on our behalf just to come into the story of mankind. So that's what we're going to look at all this. But today, like I said, we're going to look at, first and foremost, we're going to look at hope. We're going to talk about the hope of Christ in light of the freedom that he offers. And each Sunday, we'll light another candle, um, working our way toward, uh, ultimately, Christmas Eve and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And first of all, again, stepping back to say, okay, so he is coming. Now, to take this scope, uh, we've said it uh, several times, you know, throughout the years or whatever, but it's something I think is always really, really important to come back to. So, pop quiz, trivia, million bonus points if you can tell me. Where's the first time in Scripture Jesus ever shows up? In Genesis. So, in Genesis, right. So, technically speaking, Genesis 1 is when you have the Spirit of God hovering. You have the Trinity clearly at work creating everything. And then when men and women are made, they're made in our image, right? And then more specifically, though, in John chapter 3, to give you a little context here, verse 15, this is a verse that's called the first gospel or the proto-evangelion, if you want to, like, tell your friends that word, right? Uh, You can see Jesus clearly in this verse because it's the immediate answer to the problem of sin. So this is what I love about God's plan and how big the scope is of God's plan. So again, a little context for Genesis 3.15 is that you have uh, the curse has happened, right? The fruit has been eaten. Adam and Eve in chapter 3 is the fall chapter in scripture are going to have to receive the curse and consequence of the choice that they made. But also, so is Satan. Satan's also going to get his in this little exchange with God. And in Genesis 3.15, you're going to see what Satan is going to get and what the result of this treachery is going to look like long-term. So in Genesis 3.15, keep going. There we go. And God says, I will cause hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve. 
and between your offspring, so now we're talking satanic forces, and this is why, this is where we're going to end our series in Christmas, is looking at this battle and how Jesus overcame this, and her offspring, and Jesus specifically, and then even more broadly, you might say, humankind. He, Jesus, will strike your head, which is a fatal blow. Ultimately, Jesus is going to win, and you will strike his heel. So Satan is absolutely going to attack humankind and Jesus. So this is a really, really weird verse, unless you understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of this verse. So for a long time, think about this. We don't really know timeline-wise. This is Adam and Eve. So this is thousands and thousands of years before Jesus Christ ever comes on the scene. So for a long time, people would have wondered, well, who is this person that's ultimately going to strike this fatal blow against Satan? Like, who is ultimately going to crush and kill Satan, right? And so for a long time, God just keeps adding prophecy to this, keeps adding prophecy to this. Because conservatively speaking, conservatively speaking, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 Old Testament prophecies. Like that can clearly be linked to the life that Jesus lived, clearly be linked to things that he said about himself, things other people said about himself, and then how he actually fulfilled them in his time here on earth. Some of them are like more, like better known ones, like, you know, he rode in on the donkey, right, that we do during Easter and Good Friday, and like things like that. And some of them are like that one in Genesis 3 that we saw. And then if you continue to go through the Old Testament, so let's skip up to where Moses is. In Deuteronomy 18. So here's another. I'll just give you like a sampling of these verses that are in the Old Testament because we're not going to read all 300. That'd be a lot of time in Scripture if we did that, right? Deuteronomy 18, though, Moses says this of Jesus. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. So It's like, well, how do we know that that's him? So for 1,500 years, Moses is 1,500 B.C.-ish. 1,500 years, they're waiting for this prophet. So when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, they start asking him, hey, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Well, are you the prophet? So for 1,500 years, they have not yet found the prophet. And so they're still looking for him. And Jesus would show up and he would start claiming to be this prophet, right? He would claim to be the one that they had to listen to. So Jesus Christ says, it's finally here. I am the Messiah, right? And this, that's who that is, is the Messiah. And so when Jesus starts showing up to say he is this person, it's like, oh my gosh, 1,500 years Moses said this. And there's other little clues we have as we go on. So this is roughly 1,500 years before Christ. Then if we fast forward a little bit to 700 years before Christ, and we get to the book of Isaiah, chapters 52 and 53, now all of a sudden you have this suffering servant. Again, who is the person, who is the one that could be capable of paying for the sins of mankind? Because in Isaiah 53, it says, he bore the sins of us all, right? And so what kind of person, what kind of man can bear the sins of all mankind? These verses don't really make sense until Jesus Christ shows up and starts saying that he is going to be the one that gives his life for the sins of many, right? Like this was the purpose. His name, Jesus, means what? God saves, right? Emmanuel, they would call him, God with us. So he is literally the fulfillment of this role here. But again, just like with Deuteronomy and what Moses talked about, well, who is this guy? Who is this person for now thousands of years we've been waiting on this deliverer that is going to defeat Satan. 
what's going on here? So then you have another one. You have also in Micah, a contemporary of Isaiah. This is kind of a famous Christmassy verse here because it talks about Bethlehem. And again, just a sprinkling of verses from the Old Testament that really were not making sense until Jesus Christ shows up. I mean, fulfilling a couple prophecies, like, yeah, okay, but to fulfill 300 that are easy that pretty much all scholars agree on, that's crazy, right? That is crazy. So in Micah chapter 5, you have this. Bethlehem Ephratah. So Ephratah was kind of an old name for that, for that city Bethlehem or for the area around it. It says, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. So this is going to be pretty big, right? This, this ruler is over all Israel. And then next, his origin. So think about how far back into eternity Jesus goes, right? His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times, right? He doesn't have a, a beginning right now. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Now, this verse right here can be kind of a tricky one because in the uh, in the prophetic book of Micah, he's talking about the pains of childbirth as related to feeling they, like they were abandoned by God. So, m- what Micah was saying was like, "Look, yes, you're going to be a, you're going to feel abandoned. There's going to be a time when, because of your sin, God is going to turn from you and He's going to turn you over to the consequences of what you're doing, and that's going to be a lot like childbirth. But God is going to deliver you from that." So it's not just talking about Mary, because for our perspective, it can be, oh, that's Mary. Which, yes, because there's going to be deliverance, ultimately, for Israel in their time, right? Much later after this. But then, yes, the Messiah would come and be born from a woman. Yes, that would happen. But also, Micah's prophecy, again, is looking at the second advent as well. So this is an incredibly long-ranging prophecy, because he's not just talking about the birth of Jesus. He's talking about his first and second advent. God will deliver you from your persecution in Babylon. God will deliver you when Jesus comes. But then also, as we look further into this verse, then the rest of the ruler's brothers, Israel, will return to the people of Israel. There's this ingathering, and this is a very end times prophecy kind of thing. There'll be this ingathering to Israel by the people of Israel. And he will stand, Jesus, will stand and shepherd them and the strength of the Lord and the majestic name of the Lord his God. As Jesus said, right, his name is Yahweh. He claimed the name of Yahweh, so he's going to minister in the end. And now you're talking thousand-year reign at the end of all time, right? You're talking revelation-type stuff here that he's now getting into. The thing, like, how will Jesus rule and reign in the end? Well, in the power of the name of Yahweh. And then they will live securely but then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. So this is literally end times prophecy when Jesus rules in absolute peace from one end of the earth to the other. Like this is like, again, this is the context that the Christmas story sits in is a longer story about sin and about God's deliverance immediately, the plan of salvation, right? In Genesis three, and then working through all these promises, all these promises, all these promises for thousands of years, and then Jesus would show up at his birth, but that's just like a dot, right? And then it's on to the purpose was the cross and the resurrection, and then his second advent, and then the end of time. And so, again, this is just like, so don't stop at Christmas story. Like, don't just leave Jesus in the manger as a helpless little baby, because that's not who he is. He came as that role, but that's not who he ultimately is. 
So those are some of the, the things that we can jump through to see that. And then here's where I think it's important to take all of these prophecies and say, okay, so did Jesus ever actually think that he was the fulfillment of these prophecies? He, so he claimed some of these things, but he, did he see the Old Testament as being about himself? And that's a really good question. Did Jesus Christ himself, did he see the Old Testament as being about him and pointing to him? And could you confidently go anywhere in Scripture? So, to answer that, you want to go to the road to Emmaus. So this is in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And I love the patience of Jesus. I love the concern and care for Jesus. This is right after his resurrection, right? And this is why, this for one of me is one of those big, big proofs of the reality of, of Christianity. Because what you have in this scene is you see people, two disciples in particular, that are just baffled. Their Messiah is dead, right? There's no hope left. We're just going to go back, I guess, to whatever was going on before. So the reality of Christianity is that it would be dead if there was no resurrection. Because you see, Scripture is so honest. These people are just like lost because they think Jesus is gone. And so here Jesus comes, and they don't understand who they're walking with. It's these two disciples, and he starts asking them about what happened. And they're like, what, are you kidding me? Like, are you living under stone? How do you not know what just happened? And he's like, well, why don't you tell me? So they start telling him, and then Jesus reveals himself to these two disciples, and then says this right here. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in what? All the scriptures. And all the scriptures at this time was a pretty well-established Old Testament. So I love, again, the care and concern that Jesus would say, look, guys, this has been about me the entire time. All of this, all of it, has pointed toward me. All the sacrificial system, all the prophecies, everything was pointing to the moment now that you get to live in, that you get to experience firsthand. This is what it's been about all along. And the Christmas story, of course, is an important part of that because he actually comes but remember, though, it was all pointing to somewhere. You can't remove the cross in the cradle because there's that powerful contrast in the Bible of saying we live, and you know this, you know this, you live, we live in the tension right now of having to wait for that next advent. Yes, the first one came, but we live in a world corrupted by sin. We live in a world with imperfect bodies. We live in this like tension of saying, Lord, it's not perfect yet. And God is like, I know but there's something else to look forward to. And that's a difficult tension to live in and say, but I have to like put up with this now? <laughs> yeah, and God's like, yes, yes you do, right? But there is something better ahead. So that is, it's like, it can be, it can feel bittersweet, but there is the next, there is the future, there is more, and that's what he promises us. And so the, uh, the un-Christmassy uh, un question again of earlier, um, what is it that you need freedom from? You know, old ways of thinking, old habits, you know, sin. Like, there's these things that just kind of like, for a lot of people, like I said, they kind of lurk back there. For some, it can just be worry, right? You're just constantly worrying. You're constantly in dread. You're, you know, it's like you see everything from like the, the underbelly. And, like, and I have to remind some people sometimes, because I can lean a little bit that way sometimes too. But I have to remind other people like, hey, but what, what is God doing? And it's amazing when you do that to somebody, because all of a sudden they're like, you know, it's like they, they almost can't, like, step out. You know what I'm saying? When you start, like, going down, the, like, that trail in your mind, it's like, oh, to have somebody say, what, what's good right now? 
Like, where's God active in your life right now? And so there's just that hope of Jesus that he brings, that freedom that he brings from those kinds of things. And so that's what I want to land in, kind of camp in today as we look at all this. Um, but again, Isaiah uh, chapter 9 is where we're going to be. So this morning we read from Isaiah 9-6, which is a pretty like, famous Christmassy verse. But as a reminder, this is 700 years before Jesus, right? So this is not just like, oh, we think it is because of the Bible. It's like we can dig stuff up out of the ground, and we know that Isaiah was writing about 700 years before Jesus. So the prophecies he's giving are powerful prophecies um, because of what they say about who Jesus ultimately will be, about this child to be born, right? So verse 1 in Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, the gloom and distressed land will not be like that of former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. So this right here, again, is a kind of a time-specific prophecy. This is a little bit of a history lesson for the people that are listening to this prophecy in Isaiah's time. Because not long before this, the northern nation of Israel, because it's already been split, Judah in the south, Israel in the north, Israel's already gone by this time, right? They have been wiped out because of their sin, because of their rejection of God. So Zebulun and Naphtali are kind of representative of that northern kingdom. And he's like, look, you've been judged, but there's going to be a time when honor will come back to you, specifically through the area of Galilee. And of course, Jesus grew up where? In Galilee. So there's this 700-year-old prophecy that says, yes, you've been judged because of your sin, but don't worry because eventually honor is going to come back to you, right, about the birth of Christ. So it's going to come back your way. So in verse 2, he goes on, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now, this is such an important verse so important that Matthew actually quotes this verse in regard to Jesus' birth. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he quotes this directly and says, this is who Jesus is. Like, this is the guy right now that brings this prophecy to fulfillment in Matthew 4. And so again, there's these connections. There's this, this finally, it's happened, right? But he's looking ahead. This is 700 years before any of this stuff would happen. And God is saying, but it's going to happen. And like, just like Jesus said, I'm in his time, he said, I'm telling you th these things now so that they, when they do happen, you'll believe I am who I am, right? God is doing the same thing in the Old Testament. I'm telling you these things way ahead of time so that you'll know, like, I'm the real deal, so that you know you can trust me. But again, it's 700 years. And then in John chapter 1, same thing, right? These verses made a huge impact on the disciples. Because in John chapter 1, in John's introduction, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Right? So Jesus is the light in the darkness. Like, he is the fulfillment of this passage in Isaiah 9. And then, of course, in John 8 is when Jesus would say this about himself. He would claim this. I am the light of the world. It's one of his I am statements. So Jesus, again, affirming, yep. Who Isaiah was talking about, that is me. I am the Messiah. I am the light in the darkness, right? So these are huge themes that are coming to fruition in Jesus. And so I just, as we go through these passages, I just want you to see 
how they connect. Again, how do the puzzle pieces fit together? And then, going on in the next verse, Isaiah says, You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils, right? So this is like something that you can see uh, in these people, the joy that this will bring. And then in verse 4, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke, right? That's a, a key phrase there. You have shattered their oppressive yoke because what would come because a consequence of sin, right? And on the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. Another little history lesson for his people there from Judges chapter 6 and 7 when God shows up and delivers them. So he's writing to people to understand these stories and he's like, hey, look, just like God has done in the past, just like he's done in the past, he will one day do again, only on a much grander scale, right? So just like in the days of Midian. And then in verse 5, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So why burn them? Why burn these things? What significance does that have? Again, a little cultural note here that when they would go to war, the nation of Israel, to stay ceremonially clean, they had to burn that stuff that they were in combat because it's covered in blood, right? So essentially what they're doing is they're, they're getting rid of death. They're getting rid of uncleanliness. So what would Jesus do when he came? He would get rid of death. He would get rid of the stain of sin. That's what he would do when he came. So again, there's these connections that culturally speaking, he is like, he is literally stepping into something that at the time they would have really, really understood the significance. Like he's going to do this kind of thing for us. Like that was the role that Jesus would play. And then Jesus also steps into, in the first part of this verse, that um, this, this yoke of oppression because if you break the yoke of oppression of somebody, what does that look like for them? What are they then? They're free, right? For those that like the, the people that I know that have, that are in recovery, like to listen to them talk about that is literally like breaking the yoke of oppression. Like I'm finally free. And what I love and what I'm like, one of the things we're going to end with this morning, we have that, uh, that picture. Uh, so PJ, throw that in the end for me there, like just at the end. Um, but the, from Wednesday night, we had everybody come up and write on their leaves what they were thankful for. And so this morning, I wanted to be able to kind of end with that because this is the, the freedom that he offers us. And I love how it kind of tied in with where we were going to be today because there were a lot of people that actually mentioned being free from some kind of sin, being free from some kind of addiction. Uh, I was amazed and it was really encouraging for Brittany and I because you could also tell a lot of the new people that have accepted Christ recently, that have like come to church for the first time recently, that have been baptized recently, like these kind of people, you can see the change that God is making in their life. The freedom that they're literally finding in this new relationship with Jesus Christ is really neat. So as Brittany and I went through all of them, like, you know, I, I knew there was a lot on the boards, but when I'm sitting on our couch and there's like a stack like this in my lap and we're just like going through them all and writing them all down, it was like, man, this is really, really cool to see what God is doing just in this local body right here. And so I just want to end with that just today to, again, what, what is he giving us freedom in? And there's a lot of them that uh, we got to see in that. So it was really cool. But for him personally, when Jesus was here, again, this is specifically what he talked about over and over and over again. And in Matthew 11, this might be a, a verse that you've memorized. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he is offering us something very, very specific. 
And so if you look at these words here, you probably will remember them. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and what? I will give you rest, right? I will give you rest from being weary, from being burdened. That sounds a lot like freedom to me. And then he says, take up my yoke. So yes, I do have a responsibility for you, but it's not like the, the slavery yoke of sin and the slavery yoke of what you were doing. Again, just like Isaiah was talking about, he's going to break that yoke and give us something different. Because yes, we're, as followers of Christ, we are still given responsibility. But he says, I want you to learn from me because I'm lowly and I'm humble in heart and you will find what? Rest for your souls. And then the last part, for my yoke is easy and what? My burden is light, right? So following Christ, again, not easy. We still have a yoke to carry. We still have responsibility. But he's like, but look, this, this is not the yoke of slavery that we're talking about here. This is not a yoke of slavery to sin or to what uh, you have wrestled with in your past, right? This is not that that Jesus is talking about. I want you to be free from that is what Christ is offering us. So that, again, Jesus fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies speaking directly to these prophecies, because this is who Jesus is. It's finally here in that first advent. And so after this, uh, in verse 30, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, in verse uh, 6 of Isaiah 9, where we were this morning. So he's going to give us some titles and some things to think about about this Messiah. So the first one is he's going to be born a child, right? Second is he's going to rule over God's people and the world, generally speaking, Right? And next, then he's going to have those four very descriptive names to reveal uh, his character. And then Messiah will sit on King David's throne. So that's a big one, right? That's a big promise from 2 Samuel 7, I believe, where God promises him that he's going to have, King David, going to have a descendant always on the throne forever. So this is like something here. He's like, yeah, this is going to happen. Right? And then lastly, all of this is going to be accomplished by God alone. So here's, again, a very Christmassy verse. So up first, we have he's going to be born a child. And that's the beginning of verse 6 that we read. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And then next, like I said, he's, got, he's going to rule over God's people and the world because the government, next verse, the government will be on his shoulders. Now, this is like second Advent stuff as well, right? So this is moving beyond just the birth of Jesus. But big picture, who is this Jesus going to be? Well, he's going to be the one with absolute authority. Like Jesus wins the end, right? That's the whole like, you know, part of Revelation that we looked at was that's who Jesus is because ultimately he is in charge, right? But we live in the tension right now, though. And then third, for every descriptive, or four very descriptive names. So look at this. These are the ones that we probably know. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. So wonderful counselor, like Moses said, this is somebody we need to listen to, right? This prophet, this person is something that we need to listen to. And when Jesus was on earth, man, people wanted to listen to him. Like they wanted to listen to him. So for us, for you personally, 2022, do you listen to Jesus, right? Do you just pray occasionally and talk to Jesus? Or do you ever listen to the words of your Savior? Do you read scripture and get to know and listen to your wonderful counselor. Mighty God, you know, that's who Jesus said he was. He is God. Eternal Father, right? There's a little Trinitarian flavor there, right? He's eternal, but he's also co-equal with the Father. As Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father, right? 
and he's prince of peace. Ultimately, he is a prince of peace. And again, long-ranging. Second advent, Jesus come back. He's going to set up his government, remake the earth. And now, like, now everything has been made right. Like, that's the ultimate hope of where Jesus is. So when you think advent, hopefully, again, just by looking at some verses this morning, hopefully you'll think not just the first coming, but also the second. Because that's what everybody else in Scripture is hoping for, too. Like, that's what it's all about. Is, like, yes, him coming. Yes, him going to the cross. But also that promise of further down the road. And then the last one is that this will all be accomplished by God alone. Because the zeal of the Lord of armies... El Shaddai, right, is going to actually do this. So, uh, oh yeah, and then that was the Messiah will sit on King David's throne. And then number five, um, we'll just go ahead and go to number five. It will all be accomplished by God alone. Right, so this is God's plan. Remember, Genesis chapter three, verse 15. This is God's plan right from the beginning. He knew, he knew it wouldn't take us long to mess it up because how long did it take you to sin when you came, before you came to church this morning? Probably not very long, right? There's probably something you did, right? And God just knows, right? And so he had a plan already in place, which I love. So that's why for this year, I, wanna, I do want to rediscover Christmas and all that it brings, all that it offers, because the first advent was totally misunderstood by most people that were here to witness it. The first advent was totally misunderstood by the people that were here to actually witness it, because they wanted what kind of ruler? They wanted a political military ruler. And Jesus came to do what? Right, to be a servant. So they wanted political freedom, military freedom. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. More importantly, you need spiritual freedom, right? You're misunderstanding what I'm here to do. Those prophecies are not just about my first visit. They're also about my second visit, right? But I've got a job to do here and now. Like Isaiah 52, 53, they don't make sense until Jesus shows up and goes to the cross, and so Jesus is like, don't misunderstand why I have come. Like he told Pilate, I was born for this. When he was getting ready to go to the cross, Jesus Christ himself said, I was born for this. Why the manger? Because the cross. According to Jesus Christ himself, I was born for this. So to rediscover Christmas really is to understand that broader picture, to appreciate the vastness of the story and the depth of the story because, again, the questions that I have are, first and foremost, like, to know Christ as Savior, to know what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, and to accept that personally is something that we have to know that we've done, right? We have to, we've made that step of faith. And then, two, if you have done that, to say, okay, Lord, you still want me to have freedom. You've given me freedom from death. Now I need to understand and embrace the freedom that you offer in this life, right? I want you to have an abundant life, Jesus says. Will you embrace that? So do we have that picture, PJ, of uh, all the stuff? So uh, some of the ones are, are harder to see, but as you can see, the bigger they are, the more often that they were named. So my, my Quaybog Church family was something that was just named over and over and over and over again. Uh, friends were named. Family, those are two big ones. Jesus uh, named a lot, right? The love that people experience in their life. Uh, forgiveness was named quite a bit. So you can see kind of camping around there in the middle, things that came up a lot, right? The things that we are thankful for. And we tried as best we could to be specific on some of the phrasings that you guys use because some people put like whole paragraphs and that was awesome um, just to see. And it was really a huge blessing to read all of these things. But how blessed people are to experience God's peace. Grace came up a lot. Husband came up a lot, which is, I, I love that. That's great, right? So for all of us husbands out there, that's a big win. Um, 
but I'm not seeing a lot of wives there. That's not good, though. That's, we might need, to, might need to add that one in, Sarah. Um, mom, mom made the list. There's wife. There we go. All right, wife's in there. Okay, okay, good. I was like, uh-oh, I'm getting hot up here on the stage. Um, but as you can see, sobriety on the right there. So uh, a lot of people um, just, it's really cool. And then just the word freedom, as you can see down there on the bottom. Uh, it was really, really neat to see how that was going to tie into what we were talking about. So uh, we had, gosh, I don't even know how many of these things that we had that we did, but uh, it was amazing and uh, to be able to see, to see that. So that's what Jesus offers us. But I wanted to close uh, today also by, just with a song. Um, this, we're going to sing next week. And so I wanted to just kind of launch us in that direction because the song sings about hope and about what happened the night that Christ was born. Like, what did that mean? And since today we're talking about hope and we're thinking about freedom, I just wanted to play this song and, and just ask you. Uh, we, don't, we don't do this a lot here. We just kind of do it every now and then. It's not really an altar call per se, but I just want to give you time to just let God do any work that he needs to do in your heart. Kind of like when we do communion, right? It's the same thing we do. First of every month, we give people that time, that space. Just let God do what he needs to do. So as the song plays, you can listen to the words, or you can just use this time to pray. Um, Dan and Ann Mead have said uh, they'll go up uh, over the cross if you just want to pray about something, or maybe for someone, if God's just burdened your heart about something, you can go up there. Uh, and if we have more people go up, Tim can go over as well. But just a time to kind of close in a little bit of worship here and just whatever God needs to do in our hearts. So here we go. The night with hope that hope was born.
once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.